Pollution, it can be pretty scary. We know it's all around us, but we can't see it. The ultimate hope is to eliminate pollution, but we still have to live with it. That doesn't mean we have to just give up. I'm Bryn Lindblad, Deputy Director of Climate Resolve. We're a local nonprofit all about practical solutions to climate change that advance equity and give people opportunity to thrive. So Bryn is taking a new approach toward pollution. We've got a lot of tools in our toolbox. There's a lot we could do. And climate movement, it used to be kind of segregated. There was those who thought we only need to focus on reducing climate pollution. And it's changed that there's now a realization that adapting to those climate impacts, we need to do that at the same time. It used to be kind of like a dirty word or something if we were like accepting that climate change was happening rather than trying to stop it. But now we've kind of reached this understanding that, you know, you can be adapting to climate change and trying to mitigate it at the same time. All right, so what can we do in the meantime? Here are just a few small daily adjustments. We can be counteracting the source of the pollution, trying to electrify cars, trying to get people driving less, stopping idling near schools, near pickup areas, leaf blowers out there. There's rebates that people don't know about to try to electrify a lot of the, the sources of combustion. Next up is protect yourself and your loved ones by learning when there are good pollution days and bad pollution days. That's easier than ever with your smartphone. My favorite is looking at the Purple Air map, which has pretty local air quality sensors out there, a network of air quality sensors. There's some gaps where there's not enough sensors out there. And if you live in one of those areas, you can volunteer to host a sensor and, and install one, no cost to yourself. How do you do that? Who do you volunteer to? Yeah, Coalition for Clean Air, their CLEAR program is coordinating people to, to add sensors where there's not any now. If it's a bad pollution day, there also are some things you can do to keep your lungs healthy. There's some sort of behavior change stuff, things like pollution masks that look a lot like um, the masks we've been wearing during COVID, except they've got some valves that make it a little easier to breathe. But really, doctors advise that if it's really bad air quality out, you should be avoiding strenuous activity. And so usually that's like during the peak of the day in the afternoon when kids have a bit more extra energy to burn. Um, so it's a shame that we're telling them they can't be outdoors, be in their full playful selves. But we really do want to protect their, their little lungs from that pollution. Practical advice for a grim reality, but it doesn't have to be this way. What are the best policy solutions, do you think, to mitigate the greenhouse emissions? Well, our biggest source of climate pollution is transportation. So we really need to be making it more appealing for people to take transit. Something we advocate for is bus lanes, a network of bus lanes across the city. People are stuck in gridlock, but they see a bus flying by in a bus lane. I think it's going to start to appeal to them more than public transit does today. Bus lanes and bike lanes, shaded walkways where it's safe and comfortable for people to be getting around without a car. There could be a tendency to, to kind of rely on a tech fix a lot of the times. I think people think that electric vehicles will solve our transportation emission problem, but really there's some sort of changes of lifestyle that are needed too. Electric vehicles won't get us all the way to our climate targets. Are these changes in lifestyle that people can accomplish on their own, or do they involve everybody getting together? If people can get on board with the vision of wanting walkable neighborhoods where they have access to healthy groceries, there's some community planning updates that are happening right now in the city of LA to change what the zoning looks like to make those complete communities, we call them, more possible. 
So, you know, there's kind of being willing to accept some, some upzoning, some more density, um, some more diversity of land use. So it's not just kind of residential enclaves, but we're trying to get what amenities that people need for their daily lives in their neighborhoods. All of which brings us to big policy changes at the government level. It's not up to kind of government alone. They're going to need some momentum and some public support. And we need industry to be kind of willing players too, and not fighting change. So, you know, we try to kind of set the table where everyone can see where there's something in it for them, create some win-win scenarios out there so that California businesses are lining themselves up to be helpful players in part of the climate solutions. They're not all lining themselves up. Uh, what do you do about those who aren't? <laughs> well, uh, you know, sometimes we have to call a, a spade for a spade. We had a recent lawsuit against a big sprawl development project ruling just recently came out for the Tejon Ranch development. So, you know, sometimes they're trying to kind of do some greenwashing and, and claim some climate statistics that just aren't quite right with the science, we'll call them out on that and try to try to make them meet this pretty advanced climate governance regime that we have here in California. So you can stop idling your car, you can wear a mask, and you can vote. After all of that, we have a way forward.